I'm extremely grateful to be here this evening. Uh, before we open God's Word, uh, let's uh, turn our hearts before Him. Heavenly Father, we thank You for allowing us to be here tonight. We thank You for um, Your blessed uh, promise of Your Holy Spirit as we open Your Word. We pray that You would be here for us and that You would show us what You want us to learn and that above all, we would uh, be different people um, for, for having been here than we were when we came in. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, by way of introduction, I'm just going to read a very familiar passage. Um, this is in Matthew chapter 28. And we often uh, read it in regards to our gospel work. And uh, you'll understand as I go on through this message the reason that I'm reading it now. Um, it says in Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. All right. Uh, uh, all right. Is the, I think that's better. Yeah. Okay. So we look at this passage in Matthew and we see, uh, we often talk about the first part. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And that's great. Gospel work is great. There's no greater message than the message that God gave us that um, he, has, he has given us His Son. He has given us um, blessings through the salvation. No greater message. But I think that often, as we focus on that, we miss the second part. And so we often don't talk about the full Great Commission. And the second part is teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And so what we're dealing with is we're dealing with, what I want to deal with tonight anyway, is the practical outliving of the Christian life. Because sometimes, I don't want to say we get over-spiritual, that's kind of a dangerous thing to say, but I think sometimes we, we lose a little bit of sight of the practical, and so... We're going to look primarily tonight at Titus chapter 2. I just want to give you a couple verses in Titus 1 and Titus 3 to set us up. Because sometimes I think we look at this passage and we say to ourselves, well, Paul's talking about doctrine, and he gets done talking about doctrine, and he turns to the practical, and then he turns back to doctrine. We kind of separate the practical from the doctrine. And I don't think that that is his intent. We need to remember as we read this that chapters, for the most part, with the exception of possibly the Psalms, chapters were man-made divisions. I'm not sure when they came in, but somebody who wanted us to be able to have a better grasp of where things were in the Scriptures, 
put chapters and verses into books that didn't have them before. Looking at Titus chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says, and this is referring to church eldership, it says, Holding fast the faithful word, as he hath been taught, that he may be able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. So he's talking about false teachers and the need to be able to give a defense to these false teachers. And then in chapter 3, Paul is following up chapter 2 by saying, "Um, But after the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness by which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And uh, so to that we say, of course, Amen. But in between these two chapters, where he's obviously dealing with the doctrine of salvation, the very important need of personal salvation, He places a very practical chapter, a very practical session, and a section, and I think he really wants he wants this to be seen as a way to prove that we are doctrinally sound, to prove by our actions that we are living what we believe. So let's turn to Titus chapter two. And uh, there's a list of requirements that Paul has for different parts of the church and how they are to conduct themselves. And the first is requirements for older men and women. Um, So these points that I have, the first uh, three are just dealing with the requirements for different groups. So if you're taking notes, the first one is requirements for older men and women. And uh, Paul says... In Titus 2, 1-3. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity and patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, and to love their children. I think in some ways, in our churches today, this is a lost art. Because somehow, we have decided that up here is gospel work, and down here is work that we do in our homes and in our families. And I think what Paul is saying here is that we need as families to to use our practical family life to in our practical family life uh, to honor and glorify God and by that be a good example you know I listen to the to the radio program on Shackle and there are times when the person that's in the the story of Unshackled which is a half hour drama that uh, Pacific Garden Mission has been doing for Oh, I don't know. I think it's been probably close to 60 years they've been doing this drama. They just passed their 30, 
episode 3200, 3200 straight testimonies of God's grace and faithfulness. And a lot of those testimonies come not because somebody sat in church and heard a preacher preach, although that is definitely something that needs to happen. We need to be preaching the gospel. But the vast majority, I would say, of the stories that I hear, the person comes to know the Lord because somebody in their regular sphere of influence, whether it be a job or whether it be just someone they met in their apartment building or whatever the case may be, that that person lived an exemplary life of how a Christian should live. And that was an attraction to them to the gospel because they saw and saw that this person was different because they were living for someone else other than themselves. They were in fact living for Jesus Christ. And so that's what I want to emphasize tonight as we gather here today that we need to live in every aspect of our lives for Jesus Christ. To the older men and women among us, I want to say to you that whoever you are, there are people that are looking up to you. I remember uh, a famous celebrity, Charles Barkley, once had this whole ad campaign where he said, I'm not a role model. I hate to break it to you folks. Actually, I love to break it to you because it's the truth that you are a role model. No matter who you are, no matter what your sphere of influence is, you are a role model. So I want to encourage the older men and women among us to make sure that they look at these qualifications in Titus chapter 2 and to, um, to encourage others by their own behavior of holiness, by not being false accusers, by, by living sober and righteous lives. It's so important. And uh, so, as a cross-reference to this section, could somebody stand up and read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4? I have a few of these cross-references, so if you can keep your sword drill finger limber, that would be good. 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Okay, so the emphasis of this passage, and I don't think it's necessarily saying that you, you can't dress nice and you can't look nice. I don't think that's what it's saying. But it's saying that your inner person is more important than your outer person. And that's something that we need to emphasize especially in our culture today with being bombarded um, by messages and telling us what beauty is. Hollywood's got it wrong. Uh, you young ladies and even you older ladies, you're beautiful because Jesus Christ uh, made you. And not only did He make you, but He thought you were valuable enough that He died on the cross for your sins. And He rose again so that He can continue to have a personal relationship with you. That's what true beauty is about. So our second group that we are going to look at is younger men and women. Uh, Titus 2 verses 6 to 8 says, 
to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of a contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to speak of you. Now when I think of this passage, the person that automatically comes to mind is Daniel. Daniel obviously wasn't perfect because he was human, but we don't read of any specific flaws that Daniel had. What we do read instead is that in order to trap Daniel, what did the leaders have to do? They had to make up a law that they knew Daniel would break so they could call him a lawbreaker. They had to make up a law they knew Daniel would break so they could call him a lawbreaker. Such was his testimony. And I would hope that that would be the testimony of every person in this room. That you would live a life, that I would live a life that would be so exemplary that they would have to change the law in order to find me guilty. And that that's convicting to me. Um, and just sound speech, being sincere, um, working, being sober-minded, you know. so It's so easy sometimes to get foolish and to start going off on tangents. I like to have a good time. I like to laugh. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But there sometimes is a very thin line between having fun and being foolish. And we need to be very careful, especially in this day and age, that we are being sober. Because the devil, he's an angel of light. He doesn't have his own material. He recycles God's material, takes a part of the truth out, inserts a lie, and my friends, a half of a truth is a full lie. A half of a truth is a full lie. If I take a glass of water and I put some pesticide in it, just a little, couple drops of pesticide, are you going to drink that water? Would it be advisable for you to drink that water? It's just a couple drops of pesticide. And yet, so often, we do that. And now we see tremendous errors creeping into what were previously known as fundamental Bible-based churches because we allow a little bit of error and we don't check it against the Bible. My friends, I want to take this opportunity at this point to say to you that I want you, as I'm saying these things, to search the Scriptures like the Bereans to see if these things are so. Don't just assume that because I'm saying it, it's true. What I have to say is not very important. But what God has to say is, and as a minister of the gospel, it's my responsibility to tell you what God says, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, so can we look at 1 Peter 2.12? More, uh, more on these requirements for younger men and women. 1 Peter 2.12.
And when they speak against you as evildoers, they may be your good works which they observe. Glorify God in the day of visitation. All right. So we again have this emphasis on conduct. It's not separate from doctrine. I've heard um, it said of St. Francis Assisi, he said, uh, preach always, if necessary, use words. I don't agree with that fully, because I believe that you need to use words. You need to be ready always to give an answer of the, of the hope that resides within you. But the way that you show that you have the hope is through your conduct. I've had a couple specific times where I've been able to tell people about my faith because they ask me about my attitude. And I've had other times where I've met wonderful saints because they notice my smile and they tell and they ask me, "Do you know the Lord?" And I say, "Yes." And then we're able to have fellowship. So, no, your actions are not the only thing that's important. But if you are preaching something that you're not living, you will not be fruitful for the kingdom. People do not always live what they profess, but they always live what they believe. We need to keep that in mind. Our third point is dealing with slaves. But I think in our culture, uh, we, can, we can think of this in terms of your employer uh, or whoever might be an authority over you at a particular time, maybe not necessarily an employer. Maybe it's just someone that you're helping out or whatever, but primarily employers. It says, exhort servants in Titus 2, 9 and 10, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things. Not answering again, not purloining, not sh- uh, but showing all good fidelity that they may, be, may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. And when I think about that, I think about Paul when he said, You are my epistles known and read of all men. Because, like we just said, you can preach something until you're blue in the face. But if you don't live it, then people aren't going to care. There was an old Bruce Carroll song. I don't know if you're familiar with Bruce Carroll, but... I really liked the song growing up because it said, I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. And that's a convicting thing, especially for someone that goes around, like I do, preaching the gospel and preaching the Word of God because people are going to look at me and they're going to see whether I'm fulfilling it. And I'm not perfect, so sometimes I do make mistakes. But I'm reminded of the fact that we need to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Whether we're at home in our kitchen or whether we're at church on Sunday. Can we somebody look up for me Ephesians 6, chapter 5 and 6? Or Ephesians 6, verse 5 and 6. 
Okay, so we, we again see the re-emphasized point that we need to be an example to those who are in authority over us. And sometimes somebody can be really hard to work for, but we need to remember that we're not working just for an earthly boss, but primarily for a heavenly one. We're working for a heavenly boss who gave everything for us. And as a matter of fact, He says to us, because the world hated me, it will also hate you. This was the creator of the world, the one who spoke the world into existence, and yet people laughed him off, people wanted to stone him, and eventually, because he laid down his life, they nailed him to a Roman cross. So what makes us think that we deserve the best treatment in the world when the very creator of the world was killed by his creation? Again, we we need to be aware of this, that we need to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. And Paul said to Timothy, he said, those who live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's not an optional thing. It's not a maybe. It's a definitive. And our fourth... And final point is the reason for these requirements. See, like I said, a lot of times we we like to see them as just practical things. And so if we're having a practical lesson, then we'll, we'll bring out these passages and we'll talk about them. But Paul's getting ready to tie this all back to the other doctrines that he's espousing in this epistle. Because he says in Titus 2, 11-15, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good work. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. And so, the reason that we do all this practical stuff, the reason that older men are to teach younger men to be sober and and to be godly and to pursue godliness and to think seriously about the things of God, the reason that older women are commanded to teach younger women to be keepers at home, to be lovers of their husband, it's all so that the gospel can go forth with power. Because when God looks at your family, is he see, when, when people look at your family, are they seeing something different from the world? The family is the foundational unit of all society. When God started His creation of mankind, He started with Adam and Eve and He left them in the garden and He gave them a command. He said, be fruitful. And multiply. And replenish the earth and subdue it. 
take dominion over the earth. We, we, our culture has it backwards because they, they worship the animals. They say, save the whales. But the same people that say, save the whales, have killed over 55 million unborn babies. And how can we, as a, as a Christian church, how can we help to make a difference in our society? Yes, things are waxing worse and worse. It's true. And some people will say, just don't worry about it. Just hang on until Jesus comes back. But the Bible tells us that we need to shine for Him. And because it's dark, we need to shine even brighter. When people look at our families, they need to see that we understand that a man is to be a leader in his home. That a woman is to submit to her husband and love her children. You know, the attitude seems to be even among many Christian girls that I know, That they don't want to get married and have children because children would just be in the way. Even though children are one of the thing, one of the only things that God directly says is a blessing in the Scriptures. And you know, we, we, we look at the, the 50 million abortions. We say, that's awful. And it is. It's awful. But sometimes I think that the, that the church's attitude toward children isn't much better. We need to trust God in this area. I like to liken it to if you went to a birthday party and there was this whole big table of gifts that people had given you and you picked two or three and you opened them up and they were great. But you left the other, other, the other packages on the table. You left them closed. And you never opened them up because you thought two or three would be enough. That's crazy, isn't it? But that's often the attitude that we have. Even though if you look in the Old Testament especially, you'll see that one of the number one ways that God punishes a culture. Uh, uh, God punishes His people. To get them back in the right way is to cause barrenness. The Bible says that He opens and closes the womb. You know, my mom, she's not a preacher by profession. But she's one of the best preachers that I know. Because she teaches us the Word of God through our daily lives. And she had the opportunity to impact potentially 11 different families with the Gospel of Jesus Christ because she was faithful to the calling that God gave her. You know, I'm saddened because when my sister graduated from high school, everybody was like, where are you going to go to college? What are you going to do next? 
And she said, I just want to be a mom. And there was some real hostility there because people said, well, why would you waste your life that way? It's not a waste. It's one of the highest callings, one of the best blessings you could ever get. And when God gives you a child, He wants you to raise that child to love Him. And who knows how many children will be impacted by that. My dad was the youngest of four children. I don't think his mom knew when she led him to the cross that he would have the opportunity to lead 11 of her future grandchildren in the same way. So you don't know what your impact will be. But I want to encourage you that this is so very important. Alright, in conclusion. The conclusion that I want to bring to you today is let us live the gospel in the home and in the church and let it grow from there. I want to just end with these verses. They're from Judges chapter 2. And in Judges, we see the ups and downs of the people of Israel. We, we see the ups and downs of the people of Israel. And it kind of starts with something very significant. In the last chapter of Joshua, Joshua says and makes the declaration, Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people say, people said that they would serve the Lord. And they served the Lord. Well, let's just read these verses in Judges. Chapter 2. Starting with verse 7 and 8 and finishing with 10. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And also that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done in Israel. It only takes one generation to drop the ball before we have a whole generation and future generations that don't know the Lord. Yes, we need to be out evangelizing. We need to reach people and, and, and go to where they are. But if God has given you children, He's already given you a mission field. And you will be responsible for what you do with that mission field. Obviously, people are responsible for their own actions, so your children will have to answer on their own accord for what they did with Jesus. But they'll be watching your example. And they'll be watching where your faith and your trust is. 
My father taught me two of the most important things I've ever learned in my life. One is love for the Word of God, and the other is love for children. It's because of my parents and their faithfulness, largely, that I sit before you today as a preacher of the Gospel. And I don't do this lightly. God had to take me through some rough waters before I got to this point. And yeah, it kind of had to drag me kicking and screaming. But when I was 13 years old, the Lord saw fit to take my brother John Michael home to be with him when he was only three months old. And that was my lowest point ever. I remember that day as if it were yesterday. It was the worst day of my entire life. And I remember saying to my mom, Why did God take my healthy baby brother and leave me here when I am completely useless? But praise be to God, He does not let go of His own. He held on tight. I have no doubt looking back that He was crying with me. And... About a year later, I was able to say for the first time, thank you, Lord, for putting me in this wheelchair. And with Paul, I'm able to say that his grace is sufficient for me, for his strength is made perfect in my weakness. And I believe that God gave me this wheelchair as a thorn in the flesh because my physical infirmity reminds me every day of my spiritual need for my God. I just want us to see that the gospel is not just about going out and preaching on a street corner. You know, some of the, some of the greatest preachers in the world... A.W. Tozer, Billy Sunday, they did great things for the Lord. And I'm not, gonna, I'm not trying to take away from that. But for some of them, they lost their own kids. I, I know someone personally who thinks that their dad cares more about his church than he does about his own son. If we could just look at one final passage. Matthew chapter 15 verses 4 to 6. Sometimes we think, well, if we're doing for God, then we can uh, neglect our family duties. Now, I want to be careful to say that I agree that God should come first. He should. And as a matter of fact, there's a passage where God says, or Jesus says, unless you love me, to the point that in comparison, your love for your family is hate, then you can't come to be my disciple. But I don't think that God would lay down such specific directions for the family if He wanted us to neglect them in the name of service to God. 
And let's see what he said to the Pharisees about this very thing in Matthew 15, verses 4 to 6. Does anybody have that? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It's a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. So, the Pharisees, basically, they thought they had it right. I mean, they often thought they had it right, so this wasn't the first time. But they're like, we're, we're, we're serving God. But God had very clear directions for people, for His people, to take care of their families. The Pharisees thought they could just um, abandon their family responsibilities, give the money that they should have been giving to support their, their parents to the church or the temple or whatever it was in that day. And then they could say, it's a gift. That was actually one of the laws that they added. That, that according to them, you could say, this is a gift. And so therefore, I don't have to give it to my parents because I gave it to God. But Jesus said, if you've done it unto the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. So when you're fulfilling your family responsibilities, you are doing unto God. We also need to remember that God made the Sabbath for man. He didn't make man for the Sabbath. Sometimes we get that mixed up. So if I could leave you with a, challenge, a couple challenges. Number one. Practical Christian living, wherever your sphere of influence is, is not abandoning the gospel. If God called you to be a plumber or a roofer, pledge to do the best you can. You never know what opportunities you might have to share Christ with someone else. The best opportunity to have a chance to preach words for Christ is to live a life that has actions in accordance with the teachings of Christ. Number two, as we're looking at evangelism and as we're pouring our hearts out to see the lost saved, and I believe we should, may we not forget the lost ones in our own families. You know, Islam is one of the fastest growing religions in the world today. I think it might even be the fastest. You know the primary reason that they're growing? It's because they are having many children and they are faithful in teaching the children the doctrines, the teachings of their faith. What a shame it is to us that Many, sometimes other cults, like the, like the uh, Muslims, or like the Mormons, 
It can be said of them that they are more faithful teaching the tenets of their faith than we are. May that never be. And may it never be that we can, someone could say that there arose a generation that knew not God nor the works that He did. We need to constantly be testifying of the work that He has done in our lives. That's another thing. When you're preaching the gospel, it's easy to say, well, I have these passages that are so good that, that, that preach salvation. And I'm not saying never read those passages. But people will listen to the Bible all day and not understand it. But what they do understand is a changed life. When they hear a first-person account of what Jesus did in the life of someone else, that speaks to them in a way that, that the Scriptures alone never could do. When Paul gave his testimony over and over again, he talked about the road to Damascus. There's like at least three or four mentions in the book of Acts about Paul's encounter on the road to Damascus. Why? Because it wasn't just about Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and that was the gospel, although it is. It was about that Paul went down the Damascus one way, and he came back from from the Damascus road a completely other way. Why? Because the God of creation came down, talked to him, and the only thing Paul was left to do is say, what would you have me to do? That's kind of what God did for me because He talked to me the way He did to Moses. You know, I had that excuse. I can't do for you, Lord, because, because I have this wheelchair. The one thing I've learned about God is that He has an answer for every argument you have, even before you know you have the argument. So I would just encourage you, save your breath and trust Him. It says in Philippians that it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. My desire for you and for all believers is that we would do that. And that we would look at the practical living of the Christian life as important and not separate it Because the book of Titus wasn't separated until some man put chapters and verses. Paul saw this as a complete message. He said, if you're doing what God has called you to do within the family unit and within the church unit, then you will be a testimony of God's saving grace. That's the testimony. Because without God, everything is chaos. With God, everything can be done decently and in order. And the devil, he hates us because we're made in the image of God who he also hates. But we are not slaves of the devil anymore. We are servants of the Most High God. May we conduct ourselves in such a manner. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for these truths that we have found in Your Word. 
We thank You for everything that You give us. That You give us every good gift. Lord, I pray for these dear saints at Northwest Gospel Hall that You would help them to be examples of Your love and grace. That You would help the marriages in this assembly to be pictures of Christ and His church in the way that they were intended to be. And that when people uh, run into people that are uh, members of this church, that they will see something different, not because of what we've done, but according to Your great mercy and Your working in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen.